Okay, hang on. I forgot the episode number. 23? 22. 22. Hello, and welcome back to the Book Boys Podcast, mm-hmm. episode 22. We're season, getting there. Season 2. Season 2, episode 22. Two. Season 2, episode 2, uh, episode 22. Okay, Rick, that's a great, oh, no. great episode. This is a big one, ladies and gentlemen. We are reading, we have read The Music of Change by Paul Auster. Is it not The Music of Chance? And the music of, of chance. I have dyslexia, apparently. The music of chance. Don't listen to me. Um, yeah, we never do. You know, who knows? I'll, I might be dead of corona in a couple of days. Oh. So, you know, we got to have this podcast out. Yeah. Um, you know, there's an ambulance in the background. This is a quite a, a post-apocalyptic apocalyptic situation yeah. here. Uh, we hope you guys are doing well. You yeah. know, stay at home. We uh, Our university has been cancelled for at least a month. And... Uh, it's looking like uh, just a whole lot of sitting at home. Yeah. For the coming. Which the for the book boys, future. pretty good. Quite an advantage, you know. Yeah. Reading at home is always a, a, a pleasure. Might try to get some uh, a lot of reading in. For sure. So this week we uh, we're back to the novel. We baby. teased it. You know, it's back the the novel Paul Ostrich. It's be like the first time in ten episodes that we're doing a, a novel. It's quite exciting. Yeah. I'm excited by this. Um, and and you know, not one of the smallest authors in the in the in the roster. If I may Indeed. say so myself. Perhaps it is my favorite author. I think so. For you, for sure. For you, Murakami? uh, Maybe Murakami, but I do very much enjoy Paul Auster. He's Mm. he's one of my favorite, I'd say. Yes, he's a fantastic author. Um, Definitely alongside J.K. Rowling. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I can never forget her. Um, So uh, the structure I think we'll be following is a similar one to the previous uh, podcast. We'll Uh, be reading uh, out... It worked well, yeah. We'll be reading out some extracts, so to give you guys an idea of the general tone of the uh, part of the book we're in. This time it's my turn to uh, read out, read out those extracts, so um, I'll try my best, and um, I guess we should get going, right? Yeah. How how uh, far into the book is your, is the first extract? Cause Fifty pages in. Okay. It's quite far in, but I'll read it out and then we'll give some okay. context go if uh, if needed. So. At seven o'clock, he ordered a sandwich and a beer from room service and turned on the television. The Mets were playing in Cincinnati that night, and he followed the game through to the ninth inning, shuffling and reshuffling the new cards as he sat on the bed, playing one hand of solitaire after another. At 10.30, he switched off the television and climbed into bed with a paperback copy of Rousseau's Confessions, which he had started reading during his stay at Saratoga. Just before he fell asleep, he came into the passage in which the author is standing in a forest and throwing stones at a tree. If I hit that tree with a stone, Rousseau says to himself, then all will go well with my life from now on. He throws the stone and misses. That one doesn't count, he says. And so he picks up another stone and moves several yards closer to the tree. He misses again. That one didn't count either, he says. And then he moves still closer to the tree and finds another stone. Again, he misses. That was just the final warm-up toss, he says. It's the next one that really counts. But just to make sure, he walks right up to the tree this time, positioning himself directly in front of the target. He's no more than a foot away from it now, close enough to touch it with his hand. Then he lobs the stone squarely against the trunk. Success, he says to himself. I've done it. From this moment on, life will be better for me than ever before. So, um, it continues by saying that Nash found this this passage amusing. So... Um, our main character here is Nash mm-hmm. in this whole story. We follow, we follow Jim, this, Mr. Jim Nash. Mr. Jim Nash. Our protagonist. Um, who's uh, 
He's I been driving. He's been driving for a while. So he's a 30-year-old man mm-hmm. who's um, split up with his wife uh, a long time ago. Uh, a firefighter who suddenly received a lot of money from an inheritance from a father that he never knew and chose to go on the road. Mm-hmm. So he, it's a huge change in his life. He, he decides to leave everything and just drive. And he doesn't know why. He doesn't know uh, his motivation in any way. But he just drives from state to state, from city to city, listening to his uh, tape recorder and reading books at night. In this case, uh, uh, Confessions. This, this is, again, kind of the, the structure we picked up, up on with the Edgar Allan Poe short story. I guess so. Just, uh, and what we wrote with our stories, too. A change in circumstance or a change in character. So we're really forming uh, a view of what makes a good story, I guess. Yeah. A, a, a person put in a strange situation, in this case, receiving a lot of money. How does he react? He leaves everything and starts driving in his sub. Yeah. Uh, I will tell you what the passage you just read kind of opened my eyes on. Uh, I thought this was a brilliant. Why, why Rousseau was uh, the confessions were mentioned and this this uh, this little anecdote of you know going ever close to the tree with the gambling and uh, the money spent, isn't it kind of like that? You I know, guess so. He keeps he, putting in money, but they keep missing the tree. And so, so this happens a little further on, yeah. um, where he meets his friend, uh, his new Posey. friend Jack Posey, so Jack and Jim down the road, you know, mm-hmm. and so uh, he saves him from quite an uncomfortable situation by uh, letting, letting him get into his car and they drive away, and then they have, um, he tells him he's a poker player who, um, uh, who's quite good, and so he brings him out uh, to this poker game and invests a lot of money in him, which he all loses to two brothers. Yeah. So all this money that he loses, uh, yeah, you're saying it's, reflect, it's reflected in the, the confessions, uh, which I think makes sense. He, he keeps getting closer and closer trying to get it there, but it never, I guess it doesn't work out for him. Yeah, and until the very end, when it's, well, it's a different type of satisf- satisfaction that, that he eventually gets. That which Jim we will eventually gets, which we'll delve get to, into. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, you know, there's often that thing, I don't know if you've ever done that, but I used to do this when I was a kid as well. It was like, if I walked on the line, then I'd lose the game or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or like I have to skip past this thing, and then if I do it, I'll get a, a I'll get a good yeah. grade or something. I think like that. everyone's done those types. It's, it's a very human uh, way to rationalize things, I think. And in this way, uh, Rousseau's kind of making fun of it. He's saying, "Oh, I'll get even closer to this tree, you know, and I'll hit it for sure." So maybe yeah. it's it's kind of like it's up to you to be honest if you're going to succeed or not. It's not really up to this game of chance. The music of chance. The music of chance. Yes. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. I'm back <laughs> into the title. Um, should we move on to the next extra? Sure, yeah. I think it's exactly 10 pages ahead of this, uh, the, the previous extract that I read. So page 63. Um, yes, right here. They decided to stop for a cup of coffee, and once they were in town, they took further advantage of the occasion to empty their bladders and buy a carton of cigarettes. Palsy explained that he normally didn't smoke, but he liked to have cigarettes on hand whenever he played cards. Tobacco was a useful prop, and it helped him to prevent his opponents from watching him too closely, as if he could literally hide his thoughts behind a cloud of smoke. The important thing was to remain inscrutable, to build a wall around yourself and not let anyone in. The game was more than just betting on your cards. It was studying your opponents for weaknesses, reading their gestures for possible ticks and telltale responses. Once you were able to detect a pattern, the advantage swung heavily in your favor. By the same token, he... By the same token, the good player always did everything in his power to deny that advantage to anyone else. Mm. So the, here, yes, yeah, so preparing for that big poker game yeah. that we were talking about. Um, it's quite an interesting uh, 
Well, it's quite an interesting insight that I learned there that the ticks and the certain giveaways are really important in poker. You yeah. really, I feel like Paul also really delves deep into the um, Certainly. Into the idea all, of... Also, in, in other uh, novels, there's often a lot of talk about um, baseball. Which yeah. If you've read Winter Journal, you'll know that that's a personal interest of his. But he or so 4321 also mentions a lot of baseball. <laughs> yeah, but I, I just um, like how much... Um, real-world context he puts into these novels. I think it's genuine, genuine passions of him that he decides to include in his characters, yeah. maybe to open like the reader's eyes on a certain passion or a certain... Or maybe to make the character, when, while he's writing, to make, them, well, to make them feel like they're him, you know, yeah, so I guess he so. can maybe tell it from his perspective, really. It's probably, it's definitely a lot easier to take from your own experiences when you're writing. For example, you had that you, you told the short story of, of a situation that happened to you during Interim. Mm-hmm. In this situation, he's talking about a poker game, yeah. which he's probably very passionate about, as well as baseball. We, we, we kind of see a parallel like that, as well as when I think about Murakami's books, but also Oster's books, you know. I think Oster's very good at this. But every protagonist is very, it's usually pretty much the same guy. Pretty you know, similar, yeah. The, I the guess makeup so. of of his identity is usually almost exactly the same. In the yeah, at least maybe that's why we're drawn to these two authors because we seem to know them through these characters, instead of a far-reaching yeah. creation. You know, yeah, they're, they're kind of putting themse- it's themselves. Like they're putting in, themselves into those other situations. Yeah, I do admit that this character is quite. Most characters are quite resem- uh, The protagonists look like some, uh, each other. For example, they have these passions. They have they they resemble him in certain ways. And they're they're usually also very. Mature, calm, reserved. I know, think maybe it's not things. him. Maybe it's a it's a part of him or uh, a side of himself that he chooses to uh, write or, about. Or how he would like to. Or to how be, he would like to yeah. be, or how he, he other people perceive him, or how he perceives himself. Who knows? Yeah. But I I definitely think this really grounds them in uh, in reality. So you really can relate to this yeah. to this guy when he's playing poker. The the focus of poker in this extra also kind of made, the book is really it's three parts. Yeah. We have the driving, we have the poker, and then we have the work at the, the work, in yeah. the field, which we'll get to. Yeah. But yeah, the poker is is I'd say this the um, in the middle part of the book plays a huge role because essentially he bets all his life winnings but, on but this does poker the actual, game. Does the poker it, in in and of itself I don't actually think it's play a big role? Uh, for, I think it's, it's used as stakes. a medium yeah. to describe the relationship in between the different characters. Yeah. So it's like it's it's kind of almost like a combat, you know. But in this in this place, it's poker. Yeah. Maybe it's a way of them to interact. And here we learn a lot more about Jack Posey. Um, who we didn't know anything about when mm-hmm. he picked him up by car, but then we learned that he's quite this—he's this, he's this uh, I guess, this uh, rash and young man who plays poker and who believes he can win, who has these um, little tricks that makes yeah. you believe that he can win. For example, the cigarettes, um, which I found very interesting. Yeah, and it kind of because how we're introduced to this Jack, or how he how he introduced himself is like I've always won, you know, and I've yeah. always been such he's, a winner. Yeah, but. We don't actually have any evidence that that's true, and the only evidence we do have, he Maybe loses the game. Maybe this whole time he was he was he was lying about yeah. it. Who knows? He's just a big poser. A big poser, very jack big. poser. A jack yeah. poser, or he he didn't win the jackpot. Mm, jack indeed, posy. indeed. Um, yeah, but this is basically the calm before the storm. So they're they're hanging out in I think New York was it or in they're a in a hotel in, in one a big of the city. big cities in America. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so here they're planning out. He's like, I've decided to invest this money mm-hmm. in this in this poker game that's going to be played by Jack Posey. He it seems like he he says very much like he he took a he was a a passenger in the situation. He didn't really make the decision. It's kind of rash. He decides to bet all his money on this in one go. Yeah, but it's also because it's it's you know 
his money's running he, out. He talks about the movie. Uh, he talks about the inheritance, and it is yeah, like you said, his money's running out, and this is kind of his last way to sustain this way of life. I guess so, and I, I guess he decides to bet all on the one horse, which we'll see will fail him uh, but, but later on in the story. But I think he also. Maybe he's a little sick of it the, because there's a lot of him kind of figuring out like what am I really doing here just driving around Yeah, maybe he's tired of this life and subconsciously he's like I want to get rid also, of it There's so much time where he's like I love being on the road I love being alone and he misses it Who so knows? much when his Who car knows? is Maybe he was it. like I'm, I'm tired of thinking about all this I'm just gonna put all this money down and see where it Either way it'll like my life will change I'll get all this money back and like keep on living or I'll be I'll I'll be broke and just go home. Yeah, but he he always seems very um, at peace with whatever happens to him. Yeah, it seems like he he accepts what chance gives him. You exactly. Know? He's like, okay, I guess now I have to work with what I have. Whereas Jack Palsy is quite the opposite of that. He's like, no, I won't accept this. Mm -hmm. Especially when he loses. Yeah. He he's, he he doesn't uh, understand ego, why. He has a huge ego. He doesn't understand why Jim Nash accept this. He's like, no. Um. So moving on, I think this is. Uh, 20 pages ahead of the previous one. It's page 93. Um, so this is during the poker game. Nash took a seat behind Pauzy's right shoulder. Neither Flower I'm nor... I'm very happy that you picked this extract. It's quite a good extract. Oh, and I think we should mention Flower and Stone are the two, are two uh, guys against... are very rich guys against who... Uh, Pauzy is playing poker to win yeah. the money. And th but these two guys, they won, they won the lottery. And yeah, that's why they're so rich. Yeah. And they're quite eccentric fellows, which yeah. we'll probably talk about later. But they're also very dumb. Yeah. yeah. Well, we, we think, but then they, mm. they do win. Nash took a seat behind Pauzy's right shoulder. Neither Flower nor Stone mentioned it, but he knew that it would be bad form to wander the room while they were playing. He was an interested party, after all, and he had to avoid doing anything that might look suspicious. If he happened to be in a place where he could glimpse their hands, they might think that he and Pauzy were cheats, communicating through a code of private signals, coughs, for example, or eye blinks or scratches of the head. The possibilities for deception were infinite. They all knew that, and therefore, no one bothered to say a word. The first few hands were undramatic. The three of them played cautiously, circling, circling like boxers in the early round of a fight, testing each other with jabs and head feints, gradually settling, settling into the feel of the ring. Flower lit up a fresh cigar. Stone chewed on a stick of double mint gum, and Pauzy kept a cigarette burning between his fingers of his left hand. So here, this is the beginning of the poker game. Mm -hmm. And we're really, uh, like the tension completely settles in immediately. I thought this was a great uh, like extract to read out because it's like the mood transitions suddenly because we didn't, we can't really read out all the extract, but um, previously they were visiting the house of Stone, uh, what's his name? Flower and Stone. Flower and Stone, right. So they're visiting their house, they've just been wowed by a huge amount of amazing objects, including a, a, a small replica of a city, um, and suddenly they return to the, um, to the main dining hall and they start playing poker. And this is where the, the I thought the story really hits its stride. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm, I'm, I was so drawn in, I couldn't stop reading this moment. When they were yeah. playing the poker game, I think this was the, the most, uh, the, the, the peak of the story, I think. It was so much tension, so, so well described, and... Um, it certainly feel, it feels kind it of feels like... Real. where, But also, like, um, it feels like, where's the story going to go from here, you know? Now that he's put in all this money, they're sitting here at this, ta at this table about to play, how can this not and, be... 
the last act of, of Jim Nash's story. And, you know, the first time he picked up Jack Posey and he talked about the game, I was like, he has to lose this game. It's not For the story to, to, to move forward, I don't think he can win this money. But as you get to know Jack Posey a little more, yeah. I thought, I started to think, wow, Jack Me Posey too. might win this, you Me know? Too. Exactly like when you when you're you know you're gonna watch a UFC fight or a boxing fight mm-hmm. you don't know who's gonna win you, you moments where you're like this guy's gonna win you start and then, to convince yourself and then the other guy does something else and you're like oh this guy might actually <coughs> be win so you know it's quite I thought this was very well written and it's it's a good um, I don't know literary device I guess to use the this, tension the tension in this yeah. moment because um, because the way because he creates that tension it makes there's tension in me while I'm reading it for and sure. it makes me think. Well, if they're feeling tension in the scene, then I must also feel the tension because I really don't know what's going to happen in this game. For sure. And I think a huge part of that tension is is uh, due to the fact that they're in such a, a strange environment. Yeah. I think that throughout the whole, the, at least the whole beginning of the story, he's either in his car, in a hotel, or, uh, yeah, hanging out with his family. So, and this, he's suddenly in some two millionaires' house who are completely extravagant, who have random things in there. They, they've never been exposed to such um, rich and, and such crazy... Luxury. Such luxury. And, and such crazy people, I guess. Yeah. And you don't know what's going to happen. Nothing, no. nobody knows what's going to happen. And that's what makes you want to keep reading. Exactly. And so, you know, the pages kept going at this mm-hmm. point. I was really interested. Um, so I guess I'll read the next extract. This page... There's, there's this podcast I listen to, and oh. they also do this thing where they... Um, well, they will read parts of a book. And whenever one of them is about to read an extract, they say... Back to the book, and then oh, they just go straight. That in. would be a smooth transition. I, I feel like we should we should back to the book. That. We'll we'll use back to the book, and then at some point we'll find our own little expression yeah, to use. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is page one hundred twenty-five, and I think he's already. Oh yeah, this is when they've just lost the poker game, and they've also lost. Well, he's lost all his money, and he decided to bet his car at the end, which he lost. Mm-hmm. Nash was not nearly as restless as he thought he would be, once he accepted the fact that the car was gone. He felt little or no desire to be back on the road, and the ease with which he adjusted to his new circumstances left him somewhat bewildered. It made no sense that he should be able to abandon it all so quickly, but Nash discovered that he liked working out in the open air, and after a while the stillness of the meadow seemed to have a tranquilizing effect on him, as if the grass and the trees had brought about a change in his metabolism. That did not mean he felt entirely at home there, however. An atmosphere of suspicion and mistrust continued to hover around the place, and Nash resented the implication that he and the kid were not going to keep their end of the bargain. They had given their word, they had put their signatures on the contract, and yet the whole setup was built on the assumption that they would try to escape. I, I so we, we should, need a little explanation yeah. here. Would you like to explain? Um, so in this poker game, uh, basically Jim Nash and, and Jack, they can, they can no longer pay their debt to flower and stone, which They've, happens in poker. It's a it's, yeah. it's a harsh game. And so they they write up this contract because ugh, it's it's kind of such a weird thing to explain. But flower and stone want to build this huge wall out of a sixteenth century uh, French castle, and they got all Scottish these stones, castle, Scottish castle, and they got all these stones from it, and they have them in the backyard, and they're like, all right, to pay off your debt, build us this wall. And we'll pay you uh, ten dollars an hour yeah. until your debt is paid off. I and they have to pay ten, ten thousand, yeah. so they'd have to work a certain amount they, of hours. Yeah, and they're lodged and fed. Well, yeah. they're lodged. That's what it said on the contract. Room they and have board. Room. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
And here he's just realized the situation, so he's like, I have to now work in this meadow yeah, this for is the three months. Of the situation. Yeah. Exactly to pay off this. But again, he's calm and he's okay. With exactly it. this, but this I thought this was quite maybe out of shock. You know, he's like, this just happened. You know, I don't. He doesn't yeah, really have the reaction but, to it. But the panic never sets in. I guess so. I think well, he until to later on in the story, there is a panic moment, which we will get into. But yeah, but that's an for now. Factor, you know? He's quite yeah for yeah. sure. He's quite content, and they don't really. This extra doesn't really mention Jack Posey, but Jack Posey is suddenly he's like a a, a caged animal at this point. Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't. He wants. He needs to leave. He doesn't know why his friend is doing this, and this is also the moment we realize they're very good friends because he says to Jack Loyalty Posey, is shown. exactly. He says to Jack Posey, "If you want to leave, leave now. You know, like I'll do this on my own. I don't. I need to do this." And Jack Posey is like. No, I'll stay with yeah. you. And Come on, man. What do you think? I'm going to What do you think? You? I'm going to leave you? I lost all your money at poker? Mm-hmm. They're going to stay. But this is... the Once again, the environment completely changes now. It's it's quite like a movie. It's mm-hmm. the, or like a... I guess a play. You know? They change the scene. Or like the seasons. You know? Maybe. Yeah, the four seasons, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like the car, driving the car, and then the poker game, car the spring. meadow, and then the cafe at the end. We got car spring. We got poker game summer. We got... Uh, beginning of the thing, autumn, aka or fall, and then well, the end of the story is I guess winter. Yeah, that's me. That that's interesting. Yeah, well, I bet he did not intend that to happen. No, but, but the pattern's it's there. A, it's quite an interesting <laughs> pattern to find. It's like that uh, joke, you know. It's like the the author writes the the window was blue, and then the the English teacher starts freaking out about it. It's like, the window was blue. It means something, and then the author's like, no, I just meant the window was blue. I've never heard of that. You've never heard of that meme? Uh, I'll, I'll send it to you. Mm. But, um, yeah, so this is quite a decisive moment in the story because uh, it, the whole storyline changes, basically. You're expecting some sort of success story out of a poker game and making a lot of money and how this life changes him, but suddenly he's basically a slave. They're, they're, they've signed this contract and they're basically locked into this area for three months to work on a wall like, like, like a slave. Yeah, and, and, and because they're in debt to these people, they there's no choice here. They can't just say, all right, we don't want to do this work. They, they have, they're getting paid, but they have to do it. Oh, yeah, for sure. I, it's, it's, it's a very interesting dynamic at this point because mm-hmm. you can't really believe it. Kind of like the, the main character or Jack Posey, you're like, how is this actually happening to them? You know, it's, But it's also, once again, a very interesting environment in which they're put in, which I guess creates the storyline very well. Mm-hmm. Next extract. Oh, back to the book. Page um, 148. Um, he deserves to, Nash said. He's worked hard. Well, it hasn't been easy. I'll grant you that. But it looks like we're coming along now. It looks like this thing is finally going up. Little by little, one stone at a time. That's the way it's done. One stone at a time. I guess you'll have to start looking for new for some new workers. The way Jack and I figured it, we're due to leave here on the 16th. I know that. It's kind of a shame, though. I mean, just when you boys are getting the hang of it and all. Those are the breaks, Calvin. Yeah, I guess so. But if nothing better comes along, you might consider coming back. I know that sounds crazy to you right now, but give it a little thought anyway. Thought, Nash said, not knowing if he was about to laugh or cry. It's really not such bad work, Merckx continued. At least it's all there in front of you. You put down a stone and something happens. You put down another stone and something more happens. There's no big mystery to it. You can see the wall going up, and after a while, it starts to give you a good feeling. It's not like mowing the grass or chopping wood. That's work too, but it won't ever amount to much. When you work on a wall like this, you've always got something to show for it. 
I suppose it has its point, Nash said, a little dumbfounded by Merck's venture into philosophy. But I can think of other things I'd rather be doing. Suit yourself, but just remember, we've got nine rows left. You could earn yourself some good money if you stuck with it. I'll bear that in mind, but if I were you, Calvin, I wouldn't hold my breath. Mm. So this is the end of chapter six, and um, they're clearly nearing the end of their workload. Yeah, I think at this point they've, they've paid off their debt, and um, now kind of the, the foreman of these grounds... Uh, yeah, the, it, their foreman or kind of, the, 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 I guess, the, guard, the, the prison guardian at, at some point. <laughs> I can't believe you're going that... I don't really feel like they're that trapped. Well, yes, later events well, of the story, what happens at the end so. of the story? You know? Yeah, but, it, you know, there's also... I guess we'll get to that later. Yeah, but um, this was quite the first point where he starts mentioning, he's like, hey, you sure you guys don't want to stay a little longer? Yeah. I was... I don't know how Paul Oster does it, but he, he throughout the whole um, wall build, with the building meadow months, he really managed to create, uh, I guess, almost a feeling of, of being scared. For these guys, I, I thought, it's like an eerie feeling, like... Impending doom. Yeah, it's like they never leave this meadow. It's, they feel very uh, enclosed in. They have this... no more contact with flower and stone. Yeah, yeah. no contact. At one point, they walk up to his house, to their house, and oh, no yeah. one's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, they find out barbed, uh, not barbed, but huge uh, metal fence. fences around the, the whole um, area. So they laugh it off, but it's still... It, it, that sets like a seed in your mind, like what's yeah, going on here. The, you know? There's all of these little things, and but they, the characters observe them, but brush them aside. But yeah, but I think as the reader, you really, yeah, I've at least I've really focused on them. Or at one point, Jack Posey loses it and he hits Merc, the guardian, mm-hmm. and the next day he comes with a gun. Yeah, which is it, this was the point where I was like, this is like definitely very strange. But when that happened, is it really strange? I mean, Jack Posey, he, he was out of control. He was violent. He hit the guy. Yeah, but bringing a gun. They were in debt. I, I think that maybe, but it's, it's easy it's, to see um, Flowerstone and Mercs as the the, as bad, the antagonist and the villains. Oh, that's are they really? That's what have they done wrong? Answer. That's an interesting thought, they especially when poker? you consider what happens later on. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. I haven't thought of it that way. I guess it opens. A, a whole other yeah. realm of possibility, but I do think there is some sort of a menace when he says, for example, "You guys sure you don't want to stay a little longer or something yeah. like that." Yeah, uh, yeah. It's I it's agree. it's planting seeds in your mind where you're mm-hmm. like, "This is kind of worrying." It's a worrying situation. Back to the book. So um, this is page one hundred fifty-seven. Where this is the third before the last. Um. Oh yes, and in this um, extract, they're celebrating. That they're arriving at the end of their contract, by and they and they and Jack Posey insisted on in, uh, paying for a prostitute and a great dinner for him and uh, for his friend. That's right, babe. Posey said, squeezing the girl's thigh and pulling her towards him for a kiss. My appetite's insatiable. It pro- it promised to be a sad and lugubrious dinner, but Posey's high spirit turned it into something else, something rather buoyant and memorable, a free for all of slithering lobster shells and drunken laughter. The kid was a whirlwind that night, and neither Nash nor the girl could resist his happiness. The manic energy that kept pouring out from him and flooding the room. It seemed that he knew exactly what to say to the girl every moment. How to flatter her and to tease her and to make her laugh. And Nash was astonished to see how she slowly gave in to the assault of his charms. How her face softened and her eyes grew steadily brighter. Nash had never had this talent with girls, and he watched Posy's performance with a mounting sense of wonder and envy. It was all a matter of treating everyone the same, he realized, of giving as much care 
and attention to a sad, unattractive prostitute as you, to the, as you would to the girl of your dreams. Nash had always been too fussy for that, too self-contained and serious, and he admired the kid for making the girl laugh so hard, for loving life so much at that moment that he was able to draw out what was still alive in her. Hmm. So this is... Um, yeah, so they're celebrating, and um, I thought this really served a purpose of, uh, I guess, understanding Palsy as a character a lot better. I agree. Especially considering the huge, I guess we can spoil it now, um, the huge uh, accident that happens to him later on in the story. So um, shortly after this, they're um, confronted by Merckx, who says well, the food wasn't included in the contract, so you have to work longer to pay it off. Yeah. And at that point, but it's not only food; it's the food, the cigarettes, the radio, the and books, the prostitute, the big the party, car. which yeah. was the main part. And so they have to work another, I guess, month or two mm-hmm. to pay it off. And at this point, Jack Palsy is he's not gone. taking he's it. He's gone. Yeah. But he does. Um, uh, I think it's actually Jim Nash who says, mm-hmm. "You need to escape now. You yeah. you need to leave. I'll stay here. I'll finish the work, but you, you need, need to, to go." go. And yeah. Jack Palsy's like, "No, come with me." And then at the end, they they. They decide that it's better for him to leave alone. Mm-hmm. And so they dig a hole in the fence and he runs out in the night. And um, the next day, when Jim comes out of the, of the small trailer home, uh, Jack Palsy is laying completely beaten up and, and almost dead mm-hmm. uh, at his feet in front of the mobile home. Yeah. And, you, and this is another huge turning point in the story. I, re- I remember reading this in the imagery of the so horror. It struck I was so in my shocked. mind. Yeah. Because he's, although Jack Pawsey, he loses his temper and all these things, he's, he's still such a likable, like, young buck. For sure, especially, know? that's why I thought this scene, I think that's why he wrote this scene in the first place. Um, it's, it's such a great insight into why everybody likes Jack Pawsey so much, yeah. why we enjoy his, his presence. Um, and I think the next extract that I selected was actually a description of Jack Palsy uh, once he was beating up. Mm-hmm. So uh, we can talk about that soon. But um, this scene, yeah, really serves the purpose of establishing Jack Palsy as a really good friend of Jim Nash, someone who he really cares about, and, and uh, I guess he, he's kind of responsible for him. In a lot of ways, he's like a father figure to him. He's like... Certainly, yeah. He's a, he looks after him a lot. The, this Because there were some uh, little hints of you know, sexuality and, and romantics early in the book, but it was very subtle. And, and here it's kind of, you know, it's re- the, I guess you could say the purest form of this, you know, you're, oh, yeah. you're paying for a prostitute. And I think it's, well, I enjoyed that it was in the book because I like I having such was... a well-rounded world oh, where yeah. all of these things that are in everyone's world I guess so. And are it's presented. Really... It, it really creates a conflict with Na- uh, Nash's character as well. Yeah. Because he's very, you know, he says it. I, he never, he was never able to talk to girls like that or yeah. to open up to anyone in, like that at all. And There's some jealousy. Yeah, and Jack Palsy, I think, is just complete opposite. He's completely open. And maybe that's also a bad thing. But in this case, we clearly see it's a, it's a very positive mm-hmm. aspect of the night. And um, it I really helps to create a character. It also kind of shows Jim... Um, that the way that he lives is not the only way yeah, to live. Yeah, it kind of bursts his bubble. Yeah. Well, I, th- I think this is a series of people bursting his bubble. Mm-hmm. So him losing his money, his car, he, he's put in the situation that he, he, he's supposed to work with his hands. Uh, Jack Palsy is a completely different guy. The, even the groundskeeper is, is a nice guy, even though he's trying to hate him. Yeah. It's a whole bunch of, of small, like, uh, yeah, I guess it, it, bursting of the bubble, yeah. in this case, for, for Jim. And still, he flows through it. Yeah, but I guess so. He survives. He unfazed. Yeah. yeah, well, he seems unfazed until the end of the yeah. story, where yeah. I think it all comes crashing down. Certainly. 
oh, I just remembered how the story ends. Yeah. Because I was thinking, because I, I huh? read this book like two, well, three I think, weeks ago. I don't know if I have the extract. But yeah, yeah I just I, read it. That's why. Yeah, I, I finally remember how it ends. Oh, it's such a great book. <laughs> so this is the extract before the last. Mm-hmm. Um, page 170. Back to the book. Back to the book. Yeah. Lying in bed that night, Nash rehearsed the story he was planning to tell Merckx in the morning, going over it several times until it began to sound like the truth. How he and Palsy had gone to sleep around 10 o'clock, how he hadn't heard a sound for the next eight hours, I always sleep like a log, and how he had uh, come out of his room at six to prepare the breakfast, had knocked on the kid's door to wake him up, and had discovered that he was gone. No, Jack hadn't talked about running away, and he hadn't left a note or any clue as to where he might be. Who knows what happened to him? He may, uh, maybe he got up early and decided to take a walk. Sure. I'll help you look for him. He's probably wandering around in the woods somewhere, trying to catch a glimpse of the migrating geese. <laughs> but Nash never had a chance to tell any of those lies. When his alarm clock rang at 6 o'clock next morning, he went into the kitchen to boil a pot of, of water for the coffee. And then, curious to know what the temperature was, he opened the door of the trailer and stuck his head outside to test the air. That was when he saw Posy. Although it took several moments before he realized who it was, at first, he saw no more than an indistinguishable heap. A bundle of blood-spattered clothing sprawled out on the ground. And even after he saw that a man was in those clothes, he did not see palsy so much as he saw hallucination, a thing that could not, not have been there. He noticed that the clothes were remarkably sm similar to the ones that palsy had been wearing the night before, that the man was dressed in the same windbreaker and hooded sweatshirt, the same blue jeans and mustard-colored boots, but even then, Nash could not put those facts together and say to himself, I am looking at Pazzi. For the man's limbs were oddly tangled and inert, and from the way his head was cocked to one side, twisted at an almost impossible angle as if the head were about to separate itself from the body, Nash felt certain that he was dead. Mm. So this is really, yeah, this, I think this is the key point of the story. This is where the whole, I guess it changes from like a light kind of uh, eye-opening experience for Nash to like horror, violence. horror yeah. and violence. So, so suddenly as well. I, this was so unexpected to me. I was like, oh, well, Palsy's gone from the story now. We'll explore what Nash feels like alone. Yeah. But no, it's the next morning he comes back. Yeah. And you kind of expect Nash to just kind of live out the reality that he's in. Yeah. And, and finish paying off the debt that they still had. Exactly. But now it, this is just forcing situation on situation upon him. Yeah. And now things start to escalate very quickly. Yeah. yeah um, and my immediate thought was like, this is definitely Merck. You know, he got him and he mm -hmm. found him in the forest and killed him. Yeah. Um, For me, it was it was kind of like because he escapes through the fence. We we are told that he leaves through the fence yeah, and under runs the down fence, the road through a hole. Yeah, we and, know he's onto the road. Mm. So then it's hard for me to believe that someone like Merck's, who's such a character we know only from inside these fences, would be outside of them. So maybe it's another. Who knows? But the fact that he was brought back in front of the trailer as well kind of hints as like it's a warning. Or did he crawl back? Through the hole, through the forest? I Maybe, I but he no, seemed... The, the way he, he's described, it seems like he's almost dead. I doubt he would have managed to crawl that far. Yeah. Um, but who knows? And also, uh, later on, he does try to escape himself. Nash. He goes back to the hole and the hole's gone. So yeah. another there was knowledge. There they knew that they knew that hole they dug that hole. Yeah. So if if not Merck, maybe it's not Merck's. You're right. Maybe it's some. But I do think it's maybe like another guard or maybe even Stone and Flower themselves who did this. Who knows? But 
affiliated with that. It seems a little too suspect at this point yeah. for the, us to be doubting that there's... And there's also no real point for Oster to introduce uh, yet another story point oh, yeah. at, at this point in the... In yeah, the but plot. we never do learn that it's actually them. Nobody ever but We confirms. don't even learn that he dies, f- for certain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, he's taken away by to Merckx. To a hospital. To a hospital. And, but Merckx, he Nash comp- is like getting onto the car, you know, with them. And then Merckx is like, no, you can't come. And and then Nash freaks out and he gets pushed to the ground and they leave. Mm-hmm. So it's also another they can't they don't le- let him leave to be with his friend. That's also kind of strange. Um, yeah, but he, I, it's just with these things. I like to assume that, that he's alive. Yeah, well, you you really want to, but yeah. it's in this case it's very un it's it's completely it's unlikely. Him. But I think that we're, it isn't confirmed that he's dead, so that there's you still that have the element hope. of hope. It's quite like a short story ending. Yeah. It's like you decide. Mm-hmm. You, it's your imagination, which I think is great. Yeah, it, it really cre- adds to the story. You know, it doesn't make it a short end. It makes it yeah, it makes it so much even more the dynamic the actual ending of three dimensional exactly. Yeah. It's kind of like a choice story at some mm-hmm. point. Um, I think we should back to the book. This is the last extract that I took. It's not the end of the story, but um, it, it's quite close. This is page two hundred and one, and it's the start of chapter nine. Crazy with loneliness. Every time Nash thought of the girl, those were the first words that entered his head, crazy with loneliness. Eventually, he repeated that phrase so often to himself, it began to lose its meaning. He never held it against her that the letter did not come. He knew that she had not kept her prom- uh, that she had kept her promise, and because he continued to believe that, he did not despair. If anything, he began to feel encouraged. He was at a loss to explain this change of heart, but the fact was that he was growing optimistic perhaps more optimistic than at any time since the first day in the meadow. There was no point in asking Merckx what he had done with the girl's letter. He, would have, he only would have lied to him, and Nash didn't want to expose his suspicions if nothing would be gained by it. Eventually, he was going to learn the truth. He knew that now, and the certainty of that knowledge com- comforted him, kept him going from one day to the next. Things happen in their own sweet time, he told himself. Before you could learn the truth, you had to learn patience. Hmm. So this is the last extract that I had from the book. Before you can learn the truth, you need to learn patience. That's quite an interesting uh, inlook that this character has. Because you felt... I felt like he's had patience this whole time. Yeah, and it's starting to run out. Yeah. He's had enough. He's saying patience, patience, but as we know from the ending, which we can now tell, he loses his patience. So he... The day of his uh, departure... When he finally has paid off all debt, yeah. and he's finally free. Merckx and his son and... Cousin? Son, cousin, I think nephew? it's grandson, maybe, even. Could very well be. A family member decide to invite <laughs> him to a uh, sort of cafe, pub. bar, yeah. pub, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. Um, and they go there, they have a few drinks, they play some pool, and when they leave, um, um, Jim, who's won the pool... Um, asks the, the, the grandson, yeah. can I drive my car? Because they, they drove the in his car. That's the car that uh, Flower the and Stone won from, uh, during the, uh, won from during the poker game. Yeah, during the poker game. Um, and he, having a little trouble there. Yes, I'm a little tired. Um, so, they, so they, and he's like, can I drive the car? And when driving past, he, he completely gets lost in the car and accelerates, accelerates, accelerates. And at one point, the, um, they say the, the lights from another car comes towards him and everything went dark. Yeah. So we can assume that he's died here in a car crash. Purposefully. Purposefully yeah. by accelerating. So here, the, it's definitely the moment where he loses everything. He's because he's lost everything. Because yeah, he had he didn't have essentially he didn't have anything, and then he got a meaning to his life in Jack Posey and this work, 
Uh, he had his daughter, though. Yeah, but he... It, I mean... But the says, letter never He came. barely cared. And it, it says at one point he forgot her birthday. Yeah. So I think... I don't... This sounds kind of rough, but he barely cares about her at some points. Well, I think he cares I don't think about she, her. He's just not... I don't think it's a goal in his life. I don't think it, it gives meaning to his life. No, because she's so far away. Exactly. I don't think that's the reason why he's living on. And I think before he had the poker game, he didn't know why he was living on. That's why he was driving around all the time and stuff like that. Yeah. And when he played that poker game, suddenly he was given meaning. So he got a friend, Jack Posey, and he got a work. He got work, which was uh, building the wall. Yeah. And I think at the end of the story, he's lost both of them again, and I don't think he can take it. So he, he just loses it. The, this is really a tale of a man who loses his purpose regains it and then loses again and this time it crushes him because yeah. you can't I don't think you can lose so much Someone purpose can't go through it twice yeah and this time it was so much worse as well yeah because he lost his purpose previously by getting all that money which was in a good way I guess he mm-hmm. got, it, it's less horrifying than yeah. losing your friend and then losing your car I guess he didn't have yeah maybe he was also scared of leaving that place you know what what would have happened yeah he didn't have his car anymore he, he, he would have he had gone back life to outside of it. Yeah. I guess so, and uh, that's I guess it's a real deep exploration in human nature and how we need, I guess, an objective or something to do. We need a challenge. We need a challenge. We need something to do, and you know, for us, it's the podcast. For Jim, <laughs> it's building the wall. Yeah. You know, every to each uh, their own uh, job. One last thing that I wanted to discuss about this novel is. Um, while the poker game is going on, Jim says he wants to go to the bathroom, but then wanders off to this That's, miniature I didn't city that, but yeah. that um, I believe Stone built. And there's the, this little figurine of, of flower and stone. Who just won the lottery. These two guys who are the, the source of all evil in this book, really. Yeah, they're really strange, kind of, they're, they're kind of like misfortune, you yeah. know. Like, and, they cast. And so Jim, he steals this little, he, st- he steals the little model of them. He rips them out, yeah. Yeah, and he keeps it, and... I think there's there was symbolic and, oh, and yeah. karma like value well, to that scene. Jack Posey definitely seems to think so. Yeah. Because he says when you were gone, I started losing. That's when I started losing. And that's when you when you ripped out those those characters. But then, uh, yeah, he gets really mad at him and throws a, a sort of a, a tantrum mm-hmm. as he does a lot because he's very emotional. Yeah. But Jim responds by getting out the figurines and burning them in front of him and saying, "See, there's no curse. It's just us. Nothing matters. You know." Yeah. Was yeah. that really a... Co- who knows? I know? think that's uh, a case for realism. He's just breaking oh, yeah. through all of this. I feel the same way. You know, I don't think there is symbolism to things like that. I guess so. But maybe the fact that he left, it kind of put Posy off. That's why he lost. But yeah. I don't think there's some sort of... Sub- In this case, he's definitely saying there's no surnatural... There's no thing above us, you know? Surnatural? Surrealistic? Surrealistic? I don't know or what I was natural. trying to say. Oh, natural. <laughs> you morphed the two. Oh, is surnatural? I think it's definitely a French word. Uh, Surnaturel is definitely a word, okay. but I don't know if it is anymore. Well, there's surrealistic and there's and there's unnatural. I can search it up, but um, what were we talking about? Oh yeah, the figurines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they had a very important part in the story, but the whole the whole model as well, because it's a whole city and there's yeah. some prisoners as well that are that are very happy to be there. Yeah. And maybe that's their twisted way of seeing them work, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like they're happy to be doing this because yeah. they're getting punished. Which is also an interesting aspect of the, the whole figurine building. Yeah. Now, supernatural, I don't think is a word. No, I doubt it. It's supernatural. Supernatural, that's right. Mm, Alright, well, before we go to the Book Boys tip of the week, you got any final thoughts to share about this novel? I definitely give it a go if you're a, even a starting off reader, you know, like, um, I know my little brother might be listening to this. If he is, you know, give it a go. 
Mm. I think it's it's very easy to read. Maybe so, as a first Paul Auster for sure. It's one of his easiest to read. It's quite a clear linear mm. storyline. Um, yeah. You know, it's very also very quick to read. It took me less than I I'd say it could. It took me a couple of days. Also because so I thought it's spanned over what amount of time. Like I'd read at night or in the morning. Yeah, but like one week, two weeks. Uh, one week for sure. Yeah, I think it took me one week as well, which I haven't had with a book in a long time. Me neither, because um, well, I, first of all, I've been reading longer books, but also this book is so it, in- it includes it you. Engages so, you. You just want to keep reading all the time. There's no point where I was like, "Well, it's kind of boring." No, it's there, just there is no action. better feeling. Yeah. as a reader than that, I don't care. You know, I want just I just want more. Pages. And there's no worse feeling than finishing a book like that. But know? there's also something very beautiful about it yeah oh yeah i think the, the that feeling of finishing a book i felt it the worst when i read the harry potter series mm. when i finished that last book it i felt like Actually, I jim felt nash yeah i felt like jim nash when Palsy died i had you know, that that's what I felt. but i've had that with like watching breaking bad and finishing oh you mean the last yeah like I'm a like, great tv oh, show it's i think gone. so too yeah. yeah yeah even the 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 films of harry potter or a long series yeah mm-hmm. breaking bad was great mm-hmm. But you move on and you find new books. Yeah, you find new, new That's new what's TV great shows. about it. But yeah. um, there's endless content to consume. Exactly. Especially us. Paul Oster. I think he has Especially a lot of Especially during books. this whole pandemic, you know, we you get know, so much time. One month of just reading. <laughs> yes, please. Um, but yeah, Book Boys tip of the week. Yeah, let any, me uh, give it. Let me give it some. You didn't thought. give it any thought. Um, I would. I would like to. Um, if you, while you're thinking about it. Yeah, go. Because um, last time, uh, this just between me and the and the listeners. By the way, you can. Okay. You know. Also now. Um, last time, um, guys, you know, I talked about uh, Formula One Drive to Survive, and I just kind of mentioned it. I think I should really give a little more depth to why I think it's so great because uh, I finished season one now, and it's just a brilliant, brilliant TV show. Um, you know what, Max? I have one question for you. What 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 do you think is interesting about a TV show on Formula One? What do you think draws me to it? The competition. R- the behind the scenes of it. Not really. The real the real draw the <laughs> real. What an ambiguous question. How am I supposed to answer that? That's the point. The real draw no. point to this is the relationship uh, of between the two drivers of the same brand because Formula One has a weird dynamic where they they it's basically a brand has two cars in the race so they have two of the drivers who are together, but they also both want to win. And that's the most interesting part, the dynamic between each of them. You know, one of them might get fired, the other one, you know, he's, they're driving into each other during a race. It's a lot of tension and a lot of, uh, you know, it's really interesting. I think it really explores uh, human relationships in a very intense, under a very intense light. I see. My book boy's tip of the week is the podcast named Under the Skin by Russell Brand. Talks with a lot of interesting people. If you're into some uh, philosophical, spiritual, um, yeah, I guess those are the kind of topics that he talks about. And he has some very interesting and very... Uh, First time we're recommending a podcast. Yeah, just really, really fantastic guests on there. you got to pick the right one, but I think there's a lot of valuable content. If Russell Brown wants to come onto our podcast, uh, I you know, a little featuring <laughs> yeah, wouldn't, be cool. of, uh, wouldn't be an issue for us. You know, We've got a lot of space here. Um... Very. I, I'll, I might give it a listen. You know, I'm taking the train tomorrow. I think might give it a little listen yeah. uh, on the train ride. Let me know what you think. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this longer format. Um, uh, yeah. We uh, we tried to really. I thought when we, we well we both think when we analyzed Norwegian Wood we kind of glossed over it. Yeah. It felt like I a felt wasted like, opportunity. Exactly, and I feel like here we really covered all the bases. We really yeah. tried to go in depth. And I'm loving the new format it's with very reading passages. You know. 
tell us your opinion, guys. If you yeah. hate it, if you love it, who knows? Just give it a little thumbs up or a thumbs down. You know, we just, we just want reviews. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Book Boys Podcast. We'll see you around, guys. Bye-bye. See ya.